Well, if you want to grab your handouts and um, keep them open, uh, you'll notice that it's a pretty important topic today, avoiding hypocrisy. Uh, one of the things that sadly has happened, and we see it in the media especially, but I think it's kind of uh, filtered into people's general thinking about religion and about church, is that we're now seen to be hypocrites in our society. Uh, you look at the events that took place with the funeral of Cardinal Pell, and there was a huge uproar by the media, by people at the funeral, uh, because that is a symbol of the cover-up of churches with sexual abuse, particularly of children. And here is an organisation that is supposed to be preaching sexual morality and supposed to be safe for children, and yet, of course, it's been a cover-up for people doing atrocious things. And so it's quite reasonable for people to look at the church and say they're hypocrites. Uh, I, I don't imagine many of you get the Sunday Telegraph, but if you did get the Sunday Telegraph today on the, on the front page, uh, there's in bold print, In God We Lust. It's an article about Hillsong accused of rape culture. By that, they mean teaching wives to submit to sex. Now, I, I don't know what they're... Uh, basing that on. I, I don't know how far it's a beat up by the media. I suspect that it is. Uh, but the reality is that the church suffers a, a great deal of a credibility crisis. And if, if it's not Hillsong, it'll be another church. If it's not that issue, it'll be another issue. And you can go through the media and find example after example of indications that the church is a place where hypocrites hide. Now, it's not just out there. The, the danger in a, a sermon on hypocrisy is we can all find somewhere to point. Uh, but maybe you've seen the, the picture when you point one finger out, you point three fingers back. And so we want to think about the impact on us. And I, I realised that I've got a number of books on my shelf that actually point out the hypocrisy of people like me, churches like ours, thinking about evangelical, mainstream, um, Bible-believing, Protestant churches and their hypocrisy. One book called Accidental Pharisees. A friend of mine's written a book this last year called Jesus Versus Evangelicals, where he points out hypocrisy that's evident in the church, particularly in the United States. There's a new book coming out, by a guy called Michael Reeves called Evangelical Pharisees. We need to take on board what's being said here because it, it would be easy to leave it as, well, that was those bad guys, the Pharisees, and that's those people that we see labelled on the TV, but it's not us, it's not me. And I want to encourage us to be humble before God and realise that there's probably room for repentance and forgiveness as we look at this topic together. I, I was thinking about some of the areas where I've recognised in myself hypocrisy. Um, one of them that I, I recognised was becoming a habit a number of years ago, and, and I caught myself, and I've tried to address it since, was the statement when I'm talking with somebody, I'll pray for you. And, and not intending not to pray for them, but not deliberately making sure I did pray for them, 
I, I go from there and I forget about my pledge to pray and so I inadvertently become a hypocrite. And so that led me to when I got prayer letters praying on the spot so I could say that I had prayed for them. If I said I'd pray for somebody, try and do it with them or if not, then soon after I'm with them. There was a very embarrassing situation for me as senior pastor of another church uh, where we were looking to increase the budget at church and we were talking to people and I'd been talking to the church as a whole about giving and the treasurer pulled me up in the midst of our council meeting and asked me why it was that I had not given to the church in just over 12 months. And I was gobsmacked. As far as I knew, I had regular bank uh, automatic transfers set up I'd been giving but you see what I had done in the previous year is I'd set it up for that year and it had a closing date and I'd not noticed I hadn't checked my accounts and the problem then that occurred between the treasurer and I he, he didn't trust me to be honest he didn't trust the fact that it was an innocent mistake it just seemed too convenient to one who regularly checked his bank statements all the time that I could possibly have missed that for over a year. But there was something that happened after that year that triggered it when I went back to what I would normally do in thinking about perhaps increasing it in accordance with the increase of my pay and the CPI and so on. And so I went back and not only paid the, made the changes but paid back a year of not having given to the church because there's too much at stake, particularly for Christian leaders to be seen as hypocrites. But I think it's not just them, it's us all. So that's by way of introduction. I'm going to move through this fairly quickly because I'd like us to have some time to be thinking. In the first paragraph, Jesus says to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. That is, these are the people that are responsible for teaching the law of Moses. And Jesus therefore says to them, make sure you do everything that they tell you. Why? Because it's God's word. And God's word is to put it, be put into practice. But he says, and this is tragic, do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They do not practice what they preach. And instead, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. What a contrast to Jesus. Remember back in chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Pharisees, by contrast, are just making it so difficult for people. And it's their hypocrisy that they will not do what they say that others should do. But it's not simply that. They put on a show. Everything they do is done for people to see, Jesus says. They love the place of honour at banquets. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace. They love to be called rabbi by others. See, here are people who actually love the line might. They, they do what they do for show. And if you remember back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, people who do their good deeds in front of others get their reward, that is, to be seen by others. It cuts nothing with God. They're hypocritical, just performing in front of others. 
But you are not to be called rabbi, Jesus says. Don't call anyone on earth father, for you have one father. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor. I don't think these are absolute statements, by the way. I mean, I, I think Jesus is happy with us calling our dad father. Yeah, probably with the person who's helping us with our swimming strokes, instructor. Um, when you go to school, teacher. But it's about the desire to have recognition. There's the danger of dignitaries, the danger of those who like the best place, those who like to be looked up to, those who like to dress in a particular way, those who like to parade their achievements. And Jesus is saying, don't be like them. Don't be like them. And then he says in verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. Absolutely. Jesus is the greatest among them. And he's come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So there's the warning. Uh, Jesus speaking to the crowds, his disciples saying, watch out, beware these people. And um, it, it's a common warning. It's a warning that we've heard already. And uh, you get it in each of the Gospels. But then he kind of moves into a particular prophetic way of speaking. Um, and you can see the patterns. I've put some bold text there uh, in the Bible passage in your handouts. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You see it there, verse 13, verse 15, verse 23, and so on. Seven times... Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Now, a little bit of background to the word hypocrite. I think it's important for us uh, to get a handle on what Jesus is saying. And if you turn to the front of your handout, you can see the essential tool for being a hypocrite. It's to put on a mask. The hypocrite was a word for a play actor in Greek drama tragedies, comedies, the actors had masks. And the word means an actor. It's somebody is putting on a show. And Jesus is highlighting that these prominent religious leaders, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees are like actors on a stage. They're not living the truth. They're not practicing what they preach. They're laying burdens on others. They're doing all kinds of things. Quickly, we'll move through some of these things. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You don't let them enter. How are they doing that? Well, they're keeping people from Jesus. They're trying to get Jesus off the scene. And we know that Jesus is the key to the kingdom of heaven. We also see here that they travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. I mean, Jesus is not mincing his words. He's going to the theological college lecturer and he's calling them a child of hell. And they're making converts, but not converts to Christ. Converts to themselves converts to themselves who become doubly in trouble, twice the child of hell. 
And of course, there are examples of this kind of horror, aren't there? Those of you who might remember back to the likes of Jim Jones or David Koresh, people who gathered converts for themselves who were demonic in their behaviour, leading people to their death and destruction. Well, Jesus warns against the Pharisees in the next section. And notice the refrain, woe to you blind guides, you blind fools, you blind men, you blind guides, you blind Pharisees. Um, When you think about that, a blind guide, it's terrifying, isn't it? Um, Over the weekend, Fiona and I were looking at some photographs of canyons through New Zealand. Um, Some of them were incredible, majestic, deep, dark canyons. And there are guides who are needed to take people through those canyons. And if you've done anything like that, you know that if you don't get it right, if you don't rely on the, on, on the bolts being put in in the right way, if you don't know the volume of water that's expected because of the floods and the, and the, um, the weather and everything else, you could be going to your death. Imagine a blind guide. I was watching some, some athletics on TV the other day and I, I was a bit confused. I couldn't work out why there were men and women running in the same race and they were all lined up in pairs, the men and the women, until I realised that all the women in the race were blind and the men were their guides. Imagine the other way round. Imagine the guide being the blind one and trying to guide the person who can see to go the right way. It's... It's kind of ludicrous, but it's incredibly dangerous. That's the trouble, you blind fools. And he, he highlights the fact that these are people who are looking for loopholes. They're blind guides because they're swearing oaths that have escape clauses. Jesus has already said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't swear by this or swear by that. May your yes be yes and your no be no. And the Pharisees, they're just caught up in this this clever manipulation, as stupid really as a child making a promise with his fingers crossed behind his back. It's the same kind of smarmy way that they can weasel out of doing what God would have them do. They're putting the laws before the love of others. He goes on to say, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. See, there is law over love, isn't it? What is justice and mercy and faithfulness? It's putting other people before yourself. It's living out of love for others. And that's what God desires of his people. But... They are very, very good at making sure they give 10% of their spice garden, their herbs. You see, it's possible to be very religious, but miss what the religion is all about. And that's what the Pharisees have done. You get this extraordinary picture here that, that... They should have been practicing justice and mercy and faithfulness, but instead they've been so focused on the tiny things that Jesus can say, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. 
He continues, Woe to you, teachers of the law, and you hypocrites, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. In these next two chapters, these two, sorry, paragraphs, these two woes, there's a contrast between the outside and the inside, the inside and the outside. And the images that Jesus uses are very graphic and really straightforward. I mean, you see a cup that's dirty. Someone's made a coffee and it was good coffee. So all that creme is stuck to the inside of the cup. Um, so what do you do? Just clean with a cloth around the outside and then put it in the cupboard? No, of course that's not what you do. If a cup's dirty, we implicitly understand that it's dirty on the inside because that's the important part. That's what holds the good coffee and you need to clean it so that you can enjoy the next coffee. Sorry, I'm not promoting any particular substance here over another. Except my coffee machine still hasn't come back from the repairer. So. But that's not your problem. Okay, it is. <laughs> yeah, we should share our burdens. <laughs> um, the next image, though, is, is worse, isn't it? Verse 27, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. And what's that an image of? Well, in the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. What a sad state of affairs. It's very easy, isn't it, to put on a show on the outside. Very easy to have the show, but not the substance. To have the appearance, but not the reality. And Jesus shows them up for who they are. Well, finally, um, he, he calls them out for being hypocrites uh, who deny that they follow in the tradition of murderers who have gone before them. But Jesus shows them that they are just the same. Verse 31, you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. Of course, that's what's happening, isn't it? From early on in the gospel, you get the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, plotting how they might kill Jesus. That's what's gone on every time God has sent people to warn Israel of their idolatry, their wickedness, their evil, and they reject the prophets and the teachers and they've murdered them, and they're going to do it again. And so Jesus says to them, you snakes, you brood of vipers. Why did he choose that? Well, perhaps biblically, it's because that is the creature who is the devil. How will you escape being condemned to hell, he says. Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. 
Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. It seems that Jesus here has in mind his own impending death of crucifixion. But beyond that, the fact that there will continue to be messengers from God, there will be the apostles, the disciples who are listening to Jesus. As you read the book of Acts, you see them going from place to place, from synagogue to synagogue, from town to town, and you find people being executed. And church history tells us that some were crucified, some were stoned, some were put into prison, flogged. But such is the opposition to the kingdom of heaven. Well, finally, in this last paragraph, you see something of the compassionate heart of Jesus. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. That's a word to keep in mind as we read on next week. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We finish with the attitude of Jesus not being first and foremost to bring judgment, but one of compassion, one of wanting to gather people to himself. But they've rejected him. They were not willing. And so the house will be left desolate. More next week. So friends, what do we make of this? Well, I think the first thing is to recognise that Jesus is sounding a warning. Um, the, the woes to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they follow on from Jesus saying, be careful, watch out, take notice. And it's not the only time that he says this. Uh, in um, Matthew 16, he's already said to watch out for the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In Luke's gospel, he says this. Let me read to you from Luke 12. When the crowd of many thousands had gathered, so they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples saying, be on your guard amongst the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy. Jesus doesn't just have the Pharisees and the Sadducees in mind. It's not just the teachers of the law. It's not just those who are leaders of God's people that are in view. It's the impact that they will have on others. You see, leaven spreads through the whole dough. The influence of the Pharisees can spread right through the people. And we'll see that it does. Crucify him, crucify him, they call out. He's warning his disciples to be on guard, to, to avoid the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. We do see the change in one of the Pharisees in the Bible. Probably not one of those being addressed at this time. But as you read on into the book of Acts in Acts chapter 9, you meet the conversion of Saul, who is a Pharisee, 
and he meets the risen Christ and then he changes his name to Paul. And when the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 reflects on his background, he basically says, I won the best and fairest among the, Fadduc the, Fadducees, the Sadducees, sorry, the best and fairest among the Sadducees every year. On any criteria, Paul was the best. And what did he make of that? He says, I consider it loss compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He contrasts self-righteousness through law-keeping with God-given righteousness that comes through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Paul looks back on his Pharisaic attitudes and says that it's all garbage. It's fit for the toilet. Now, he wasn't a bad guy. He was incredibly religious. He was a moral, upstanding member of the community. He was misguided, absolutely very misguided. He was persecuting Christians because he thought they worshipped a cursed Messiah. And he was right. It's just that God vindicated that cursed Messiah and raised him back to life. And when the Apostle Paul met the cursed Messiah alive and well, he had to reverse completely his verdict on Jesus. But we need to watch out, friends. We need to watch out for churches, for religious organisations, for pastors and teachers and online sermons and forums because there is the danger of hypocrisy. We need to be people who take seriously Jesus' warning. And I think his disciples did. James, one of the disciples, in chapter 3 and verse 1, says, Few of you should presume to be teachers, because those of you who are teachers will be judged more severely. There's a warning. The Apostle Peter wrote quite a bit about pastors and teachers. I'll just read you a few lines from uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, Be shepherds, or pastors, it's the same word, of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, and not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. I was encouraged by um, your prayer, Katie, before, that you're praying for those who lead amongst us, that that we will take God's word seriously, that it will change our lives, that we will lead with humility, that we'll take on board the word. And, and I've been encouraged as, as a community that you do pray that for your leaders. Let's pray that for those who are entrusted with providing spiritual guidance for others so that they are not blind guides, messing it up by their lives and their attitudes. You see, there's a great danger in not knowing the people who lead you. Um, I, I think it's one of the traps of the kind of online celebrity pastor, teacher kind of movement that's happened with the internet. You just don't know the people. 
And you wait long enough and sadly it seems the case that you'll often hear story after story of, of great sadness when lives have come unstuck. Pastors were not meant to be celebrities. Jesus wasn't a celebrity. If you do things for show, if you do things to be recognised, if, if you want the attention of others, there can be great traps in front of you. I don't think, however, that this is just for leaders. Jesus speaks to the crowds and to his disciples. They weren't all Christian leaders. I think there's a word in season here for us. And that is we need to be people who don't easily wear the label hypocrite. We need to not put on a mask and pretend to be something on the outside that's not true on the inside. These days, a, a common word is the word transparency. I don't think it means that you've got to hang every piece of dirty washing out there for everyone to see, but there should not be a cover-up going on. We shouldn't be people who pretend, who make ourselves look better than we are. And we need to recognise that that teaching is something that we all do. We, we just teach by living. Through our words, through our actions, people notice and they take things on board. And those of us who are parents, the reality is that our kids listen, but more than that, they watch. You see, if we say that we value something and then our kids never see that impacting our lives, then the danger is that our children will see hypocrisy. And I've met too many people who have given up on the Christian faith because of the perceived hypocrisy of their parents, of their pastors, of their leaders. And Jesus warns the Pharisees of this. He's not simply concerned with them, but the people that they will influence. Let's pray that we will be people who place the gospel at the centre not traditions, not rules, not rituals, but the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's be men and women of integrity. That is, when we say we'll do something, we do it. We don't look for loopholes. When we say we won't do something, we, we, we don't do it. Or if new information comes along and you need to change from a yes to a no or a no to a yes... Be open about that. Be clear and explain why. Let's not be people who major on the minors. Sadly, the, the history of the Protestant church that I know is a history of division and the division is not always over gospel issues that are central to the faith. Christians dividing over their millennial views, over how much water and what kind of people should be baptised, over whether you should have one cup or many cups or no cups, over whether you should wear particular clothing, dress up or dress down, what type of music you have, whether there must be an organ, whether there have got to be hymns, whether you've got to keep singing until you feel like you should drop. There's all kinds of conflict out there. 
And that's so often majoring on minors. Not that we should excuse sin, but there's so much that's not sin. And so we create division amongst ourselves unnecessarily. Don't excuse sin, certainly. There are some sins that don't get centre stage. The sin of envy or greed. How easy is it for us to gossip or to be critical in our spirit? To lust, to desire that which we should never have. And don't be a people pleaser. Not that you should be deliberately trying to displease people, but honour God first. And if that brings difficulties with those around about us, let's work through those difficulties, but not by giving up on God. Sadly, the, the history of the church in what we would describe as the liberal arm of the church has been we've got to stay relevant. So we've got to get rid of this belief and this belief and this belief and this belief because that will put us out of step with culture. But friends, it puts us out of step with God. Don't shy away from the hard things. Yes, there are hard things in the Bible. Yes, because of my sinfulness, there are things in the Bible I wish they weren't put that way or perhaps weren't even there. But that's my problem. That's not God's problem. That just shows that I've got room to grow, that I need to change. If you're struggling, don't pretend that you're not. If you're hurting, don't cover it all up. Christian fellowship is God's design to encourage one another to persevere until the end. It's a sad story when people hide and, and give up. One of the tragedies massive tragedy really that I've heard each time I've had a connection to a suicide and I have had a connection to a few as a rugby chaplain and as a minister is the frustration of close friends saying why didn't they say something why didn't they reach out why didn't they own up? They, they, they seem to have everything together. They're successful, good relationships, attractive, money in the bank, all these things. And we know that there's a mental health crisis. So are you okay? Speak up if you're not. But friends, I think there's also a spiritual health crisis. Are you okay? Well, speak up if you're not. Don't cover up. Don't pretend. Don't put on a mask. Don't separate yourself from your brothers and sisters. Get yourself into a salt group. Catch up with a brother or a sister one-to-one. -one. Share with a pastor if you're struggling. But let's not be Pharisaic. Friends, at the heart of the hypocrisy... There is a self-righteousness that keeps us from Christ's righteousness. And there are rules and there are religion 
that keeps us from understanding the truth that following Christ is about a relationship. And we have that relationship. If you've come to Christ, then you have the power of God by his spirit to change. You don't have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, turn over a new leaf. If you've come to Christ, then God has given you his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will bring power to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So let's pray for that. Let me pray now. Loving Father, we thank you that you warn us. And we ask that you'll help us to heed these warnings. Where we need to change by your spirit, give us the power and the will to do that. Please produce fruit in our lives that show that we are real and not a facade. Amen.